Let's hear God's word, Psalm 107, beginning with verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy, and gathered out of the lands from the east and from the west. From the north and from the south, they wandered in the wilderness in a desolate way. They found no city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. And he led them forth by the right way, that they might go to a city for a dwelling place. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men, for he satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. Those who sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, bound in affliction and irons because they rebelled against the words of God and despised the counsel of the Most High. Therefore he brought down their heart with labor. They fell down and there was none to help. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and broke their chains in pieces. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he has broken the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron in two. Fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, were afflicted. Their soul abhorred all manner of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distress. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness. And for his wonderful works to the children of men, let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare his works with rejoicing. Those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on great waters, they see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep, for he commands and raises the stormy wind which lifts up the waves of the sea. They mount up to the heavens. They go down again to the depths. Their soul melts because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. Then they cry out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brings them out of their distresses. He calms the storm so that its waves are still. Then they are glad because they are quiet, so he guides them to their desired haven. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them exalt him also in the assembly of the people and praise him in the company of the elders. He turns rivers into a wilderness and the water springs into dry ground, a fruitful land into barrenness for the wickedness of those who dwell in it. He turns a wilderness into pools of water and dry land into water springs. There he makes the hungry dwell that they may establish a city for a dwelling place and sow fields and plant vineyards that they may yield a fruitful harvest. He also blesses them and they multiply greatly and he does not let their cattle decrease. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, affliction, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and causes them to wander in the wilderness where there is no way. Yet he sets the poor on high, far from affliction, and makes their families like a flock. The righteous see it and rejoice, and all iniquity stops its mouth. Whoever is wise will observe these things, and they will understand the loving kindness of the Lord. Amen. Let's ask God's help in prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful portion of your word. We pray that you would help us to enter into its spirit. There no doubt will be details about it we cannot consider. But Lord God, we pray that its reiterated call to worship 
would have its effect on our hearts, that we might truly give thanks to the Lord for his goodness, for his wonderful works to the children of men. Set your great goodness in Christ before us today and enable us to respond with praise and with thanksgiving. In Jesus' name, amen. In order to take a psalm that is rather long, 43 verses, and be able to deal with it within the compass of this sermon, what I want to do is look at the last verse and then try to use that perspective to break down the central portion of the psalm. There's a little note about the translation here that is significant. In verse 43, it says, Whoever is wise will observe these things, and they will understand the loving kindness of the Lord. Now, the word for loving kindness is actually in the plural. So if you wanted to be very wooden, you would say the loving kindnesses of the Lord. And that fits in with the emphasis of the psalm. It has not talked about just one work that God does, but about his wonderful works, plural, to the children of men. And that has been illustrated with four different episodes where men cried unto the Lord in their distress, and he delivered them. Not all the deliverances were the same. Not all the distresses were the same. One of the interpretive points that people argue about a little bit with regard to the psalm is whether it's the same people all the way through or whether it's speaking about different occasions when the Lord intervened with, for different groups of people. Well, if one person went through everything described in the psalm, I don't envy their life. But however that may be, there are a variety of distresses. There's different things that are happening, and there's different deliverances that the Lord brings about. These are different wonderful works. And so when it says loving kindnesses, I think it's important to bring that out because it's not saying that there's a different loving kindness of God for different people. But instead, it's emphasizing the richness. It's emphasizing the depth. It's emphasizing the variety. God's loving kindness isn't exhausted by what he did today or by what he did yesterday or even by what he will do tomorrow. God's loving kindness is inexhaustible. And that's why the plural is worth emphasizing. It's loving kindnesses. You received it yesterday. It's the same loving kindness today, but you receive it in a new way. You receive it in different circumstances. And so the loving kindnesses of the Lord speak to us of the unsearchable riches of Christ. God's grace is not a tiny, narrow little thing. God's mercy is not one and done. His mercies are new every morning. His grace flows. There's grace for grace or grace upon grace, as John 1.16 is sometimes translated. Now, within that idea in mind of the loving kindness, the manifold mercies of God in mind, what is going on in this psalm? Well, first, there's a call to worship in the first three verses. Okay, thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Who is supposed to respond? Well, the redeemed of the Lord, those who have been gathered out of the lands from east and west, from north and south. From all parts, in other words, this is a call to worship for the universal church. Wherever you're from, have you been redeemed? Then give thanks to the Lord. And then the Lord's redemption, the Lord's deliverance, the Lord's loving kindnesses, his many mercies are illustrated 
in four panels, in four little stories. There's those who were lost, who were hungry and thirsty. There's those who sat in darkness and in the shadow of death. There's fools, and there's those who go down to the sea in ships. There's sailors, in other words. And after you have those four illustrations where you have again and again that refrain, they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, he delivered them from their distress, and then, oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness, for his wonderful works to the children of men, which is supported by a different reason each time. After you work through those four sections, then you come into a statement of general principles of how the Lord turns things upside down, how he reverses them so that the hungry sow fields, plant vineyards, their cattle do not decrease, so that the poor are exalted. And then, of course, you come to the conclusion, if you're wise, you'll notice these things. And by noticing, by thinking on these things, you will come to understand the loving kindnesses of the Lord. Now, in one sermon, we can't deal with all of that. So what we're going to do is, from that perspective of loving kindnesses, is just focus on those four panels. And we're not going to focus on them in detail. We're just going to draw out from each one a main point. The late Dr. Alec Muttyer summarized these under the headings of the loving kindness that brings us home, the loving kindness that makes us free, the loving kindness that makes us whole, and the loving kindness that brings us peace. So if you really want to summarize that central part of the psalm, I think those ideas of home, free, whole, and peace are very good. I would like to add a wrinkle that in the last panel, I think you get the idea of home again, And in the conclusion, in the summary of general principles, the idea of a city to dwell in comes up again. So home is not just present in the first panel. It's present in the first panel, the last panel, and the conclusion. So if you wanted to choose one theme out of all of those themes of home, freedom, wholeness, and peace, home is the prevailing note. And what that means... What I would suggest to you is that then that means that that is what the home God gives is like. The home God gives does have freedom, does have peace, does have wholeness or restoration in it. So very quickly then, with those four ideas, you notice what is happening in the first panel. People are wandering. They have no city to dwell in. Well, being homeless, of course, often goes along with being poor. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. Here are people who are lost. They don't have a residence. They don't know where they belong. And that brings unfortunate consequences along with it. They call to the Lord. The Lord is the one who can deliver them. He satisfies the longing soul. He fills the hungry soul with goodness. How did he do that in this case? He led them forth by the right way that they might go to a city for a dwelling place. Who gives us a home? The Lord does. Now, of course, we can apply that to the circumstances of our day-to-day life now. Why do I have a house to live in? Because of the loving kindnesses of the Lord. Why do I have a family to share it with? Because of the loving kindnesses of the Lord. 
Why am I able to pay the bills and keep the roof over my head and the lights on? Because of the loving kindnesses of the Lord. But that doesn't exhaust the meaning. As we're told in the book of Hebrews, the original patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they lived in tents. Why? They were looking for a city that had foundations, whose builder and maker was God. They were not ultimately going to settle down in this world. They were not even going to settle down in the land of promise when they were there because they understood that the land of promise was a pointer. It was a sign. It was a symbol of something greater. They understood that their true home was with God. The tabernacle of God is with men. When the new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven from God as a bride arrayed for her husband, then we're home. As long as we're in this world, however nice, however cozy, however comfortable, however peaceful your house here may be, it is not your true home. God has prepared for us a city. Hebrews says something very remarkable. It says God is not ashamed to be called their God because He has prepared for them a city. God is willing to be identified as our God because he has taken care of us. In other words, it would be beneath God. God would feel embarrassed, speaking with all due reverence, if he didn't provide for us. He has provided for us in this life, yes, but he has provided for us much beyond this life. And that's the true city we really seek. You know, we are going to wander. We are going to go astray. We are going to be unsatisfied until our hearts are set on that heavenly city. That's the true way in which we need to be led. And as long as this world is all the heaven we need, as somebody put it not too long ago, we're wandering, we're astray, and ultimately we will find no true food. We will be hungry and thirsty. That's part of what's wrong with our society right now. People are not focused on a city that has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. We aren't raising up our eyes and awaiting the return of Christ as the blessed hope. We're trying to get cozy and comfortable here. That's never going to work. We were made for something better. God gives us our true home. The home we enjoy here, the home we thank God for here, is just a foretaste, is just an indication of something much better that God is yet to do. And we must not confuse them. Gratitude must not turn into idolatry. Of course we give thanks for our houses and families. But of course we know that that is not enough, that God has something even better in store for us. Well, that's not the only way to be in distress. There's also the way of being bound in chains of affliction. Verse 10, those who sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, bound in affliction and irons, or as it says in verse 14, he broke their chains in pieces. They're imprisoned. Why? They're imprisoned because of their rebellion against the word of God, because they despise the counsel of the Most High. Well, we also see that in our society today. People are sold a bill of goods about freedom. They're told that freedom means doing whatever you want, and if that contradicts God's law, well, that's too bad for God's law. And into what condition do the people who embrace that lie bring themselves? They bring themselves into genuine bondage. They sit in the shadow of death, bound in afflictions. 
The service of God is perfect freedom. You cannot be free until you embrace obedience to God. There is no freedom in going your own way and despising the counsel of the Most High. That's not how it works. God brings freedom, freedom from sin, freedom from condemnation, freedom from judgment, but also freedom to something. It's not a merely negative freedom. You're protected from this and that. You don't have to deal with this and that. It's also a positive freedom. It's freedom to have a life of value and meaning and purpose. It's freedom to have a life of joy. It's freedom to have a life of fulfilling the purpose for which you were created. There is no freedom in being the slave of sin. And if you do not embrace the word of God, that is the other option, to be the slave of sin. Everybody is a servant of God or a slave of sin. There's no middle ground. There's no in-between point there. But even the slaves of sin, even those who are rebels, who have despised the counsel of the Most High, when they cry out, to the Lord in their distress. He delivers them. He frees them. We think of this happening when you see somebody who was an addict and they believe the gospel and the Lord gives them victory over that sin. But you know, that's just one illustration. You don't have to be addicted to some substance to be the slave of sin. You can be governed by your hot temper. You can be run by your embarrassment, your fear of what other people will say about you. That's also bondage. That's a crippling bondage. You might be a high-functioning approval addict, but it doesn't mean you're not in bondage because of that particular sin. Serving God is true freedom for human beings, for angels too, I guess you could say. But we have to move on because there's another way that people bring themselves into distress. Fools, because of their transgression, because of their iniquities, were afflicted. Now, here the consideration is not so much that they were chained, that they were bound. Here the consideration or the point of view has to do more with they grew to hate everything. Their soul abhorred all manner of food. They couldn't stand to eat. They were afflicted with terminal boredom. They were afflicted with existential despair. They were not well. They were sick. Well, sin is bondage, but sin is also disease. Sin is also disorder in the heart, in how we function and what we do. Sin ruins everything. And this is part of the lie of sin, right? The devil in his temptations promises you pleasure through sin. Indulge your flesh. Do what comes naturally. Enjoy. But what actually happens? Well, what actually happens is that the pleasures of sin are subject to a law of diminishing returns. You have to double down. You have to dig in deeper to get the same thrill. And the thrill diminishes. It dissipates. In that way, sin is very much like addiction. Because chasing the high you experienced the first time you did whatever the substance was, you have to go to stronger and stronger doses, to more and more frequent iterations, or you have to switch up your drug of choice. In that way, sin is very much like drug addiction. Because in order to get the same amount of pleasure, 
You have to go further and further. And that's one reason that it's such a slippery slope to destruction. Fools bring themselves into this condition where they can't enjoy decent, normal, good, healthy things like a meal, their soul abhorred, all manner of food. The way to enjoy simple pleasures is to be grateful for them. And that means you have to see them as coming from God. You have to see them as God's good gift. But we bring ourselves into this condition. Nothing is good enough. Nothing satisfies. Nothing lightens the load. But from that distress also, we can cry out to the Lord. He can deliver us. And he can make us thankful people. You notice how this one winds up. Verse 22, let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare his works with rejoicing. When God sends his word and heals us, what changes? Oh, what changes is that we now appreciate the good things that God does. We receive them as from his hand. But then there's another category, and perhaps sailors will feel a little bit offended to be thrown in with rebels and fools. But the point of this is that they're dealing with forces that are too much for them. When the storm comes, their lives are in danger. They reel to and fro. They stagger like a drunken man. They're at their wit's end. In other words, they've bitten off more than they can chew. There is a circumstance that they can't handle. There's something that is beyond them. Well, whether we go down to the sea in ships or not, we do run into that sort of thing. Only the Lord can calm the storm. Only the Lord can send quiet. And you notice that he brings them out of that. He guides them to their desired haven. And so you have those ideas of home, of freedom, of wholeness, of healing, of restoration. You have this idea of peace and joined to the idea of peace. The idea of being brought to a safe harbor. And then that's emphasized again in the conclusion. He makes, verse 36, he makes the hungry dwell that they may establish a city for a dwelling place. They have a place to settle down now. The Lord has delivered a variety of people out of a variety of distresses. We should all give thanks to the Lord. We should praise him for his wonderful works to the children of men. Now, there are a couple of applications to make about this overview as we draw to a conclusion here. One conclusion, one application, the simple, the obvious one, is whatever your distress is, cry out to the Lord in it. We shouldn't overlook that one. It's on the surface of the text. And it's on the surface of the text so that we will get it, so that it will hit us, so that we will embrace it, so that we will practice it. What do you do in your distress? Well, we've heard about four different kinds of distress in the psalm, but you understand those are just a sampling. That's a representative sample. There are other kinds of distress. What do you do if you're lost? What do you do if you don't know where to go? You cry out to the Lord in your distress. What do you do if the distress is your own fault? What do you do if the distress is due to your disobedience, to your rebellion against God? You knew what God said and you just weren't going to ignore it. Can you still cry out to God from that distress? Yes, you can. He invites you to. He calls you to. He gives you the example of those who did. Is your distress your own fault? Cry out to the Lord all the same. 
That's not an obstacle. It's not a barrier for him. You could say that about the fools as well. Have you been boneheaded and dense? Have you made stupid choices? Well, cry out to the Lord from that distress as well. Are the circumstances too much? Maybe it's not bad decisions, but you didn't know how things were going to turn out. You couldn't have known how things were going to turn out. And now you're trapped in a storm and you're at your wit's end. Well, cry out to the Lord from that distress. Add your own distress to the list, please. Whatever the circumstances, whatever the situation, however you got here, are you in distress? Cry out to the Lord. And you notice how the answer comes. He led them forth. He brought them out of darkness. He sent his word and healed them. He guides them to their desired haven. In all of those cases, you can understand that the word of God is either explicitly mentioned, he sent his word and healed them, or it's implied because he's guiding or leading them. Cry out to the Lord in your distress and begin to pay attention to the word of God. The word of God has the testimony, the witness, the revelation of the loving kindnesses of the Lord that we need, but it also contains the directions. It contains the instructions for what do we do now? It begins with thanksgiving. If you don't know what else to do, if you have no idea about any of the rest of God's commands, well, start by giving thanks. Give thanks to the Lord for his goodness, for his wonderful works to the children of men. But then there's also another application, and that is for Christians about how we present the gospel to other people. Many of us have learned how to present the gospel to somebody who comes and says, I did something bad and I know I'm guilty. And if somebody is in that situation, we can tell them all have sinned, come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God commends his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And if somebody is dealing with guilt, okay, that's a great way to present the gospel to them. But not everybody encounters their need for the Lord through the lens of guilt. There are other forms of distress that people experience. And the gospel, the loving kindnesses of the Lord are rich enough, varied enough, deep enough that we can preach the gospel to people who have no moral center, to people who have no very definite concept of right and wrong. They're wandering in the wilderness in a desolate way. Can the loving kindnesses of the Lord speak meaningfully to them? Yes, they can. You have people who are consumed by shame. Can the gospel speak to them? Absolutely. In the wealth of the loving kindnesses of the Lord, in the unsearchable riches of Christ, in the glorious gospel of God that has been entrusted to us, there is a point of contact for whatever distress an unbeliever you may be speaking with is experiencing. Loneliness and alienation, guilt and shame, fear and anxiety, just lostness, not knowing up from down or wrong from right. For people in every kind of distress, there is a gospel word. And so my challenge to us 
as a Christian congregation is to understand the gospel well enough that we can adapt its message to the need of the person in front of us. That if they're like those who go down to the sea in ships, we can preach the gospel to them, we can witness to them from that perspective. If they're those who are in bondage and affliction, we can preach the gospel, we can witness the truth of Christ to them as well. That is part of declaring the Lord's works with rejoicing, is declaring them in a way that people can understand. Well, may God give us grace today to see his manifold loving kindnesses and to be able to communicate those loving kindnesses to others also. Amen.